Exodus 29, verse 1. This is what you shall do to them to hallow them for ministering to me as priests. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil. You shall make them of wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the bull and the two rams. <clears throat> so this is going to begin the description of the sacrifices and the consecration for the priests. The thing that I would encourage us to recognize is the gravity of entering this office. Uh, there has to be these tremendous sacrifices made. This I, I'm not trying to imply that the priest is something special and that you got to go through all these, you know, and you know, great things because he's so deserving of it. It's quite the contrary. All of this is to remove his sin and purify him and wash away his guilt so that he can stand before the Lord and minister this way. You know, the bull's lives are going to be sacrificed for his life. He should die for his sin, and instead, you know, these animals are going to be sacrificed. These cakes and bread that are made are made without leaven. That was a symbol of sin. The Lord wants this whole <coughs> offering to be presented to him in such a way that the priest is sanctified in the process. His, his uh, person is made acceptable to the Lord. All symbolic. You know, none of these things actually purifies. It's the grace of God that does that. 29.4 says, And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron and the robe, of the ephod, the ephod, the breastplate, all of this was described in the previous chapters, and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. And you shall put the turban on his head and put the crown on the turban. And you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head, and anoint him. You'll remember all of that description with uh, the stones, on his shoulders that have the names of the tribes engraved, and then he wears the breastplate that has the individual stones for each one of the tribes and their names engraved on them. Speaking of the turban, and then the crown upon that, the, uh, the gold plate which is engraved, uh, holiness to the Lord is what it declares. So all of this is to make the priest look more like Jesus. Jesus is what we're representing here. Everything is pointing to Jesus. You can't make a man bear the appearance nor the perfection of Jesus. He's, he's being given the symbols of beauty and holiness, the direction to the Lord, so that when the people look upon him, their thoughts and minds will move to the Lord. Not become fixated on the priest. They're supposed to be reflective of the Lord, and therefore their thoughts would go 
to the Lord with this. It gets horribly warped over the millennia until Jesus arrives. But here, the Lord's intention is to make this minister draw the attention of the people to the Lord. So you put the turban on his head, put the crown on the turban, take the anointing oil, pour it on his head, and anoint him. This is all the way over him. This isn't, you know, we do little, you know, don't want to mess anybody's you know, foundation up when you're anointing, you know, your sister in the Lord, and now she's got to go redo her makeup, and we're all very careful, you know. What would it be like if you're going to be anointed with oil, and you just step up front, and we take that, you know, one pint bottle, and just drain that out over your head? Be an uncomfortable ride home. You know, there are a few people here that have been here for baptisms, weren't prepared, didn't think they were going to be baptized, knew what the Lord was saying to them, got baptized anyway, went home wet. You know, a couple days riding to work, the seat in the truck's a little damp. But you've got a thing in your heart about, hey, this is about my commitment to the Lord. So it is with this anointing of oil poured right over his head. Now, it's very fragrant, and we're going to talk about that. You're going to pour this oil on him. You shall bring his sons and put tunics on them. You shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and put the hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute, so you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. This is a family lineage. The Lord has anointed these people in order that they would serve the Lord. We're going to see some conflicts grow later because there are people even from this family who weren't granted the priesthood in this way. And they have other jobs to do within the ministry, and they decide, no, we'd really like to have those lead positions of high priest and the under-supportive priests that you know are Aaron's sons. And the Lord destroys those people because he has anointed this position. And that continues to today. You know, people that act like, oh, it's just a job. We could go to school. I could learn how to be a pastor. You can't. You can learn some of the ins and outs. There's all kinds of history behind us now that you can study. The question is, did the Lord anoint you for your role? And I'm talking about your role. Have you paid attention to the Lord enough to hear from him what it is that he wants you doing with your life? Because my suspicion is the environment that you're in, that's where the Lord puts you. You know, people have this mentality like, oh, if only someday I could go to college and then I'll head off into the ministry. Then I could be a pastor or a deacon or, you know, someone. What about your workplace? You see, when the Lord is saying in the New Testament, he who's faithful in little will be granted much. What the Lord is looking for is the person that's already doing the job of ministering in the environment that you're in. Are, are we carrying out our God-ordained position in life. There are a whole bunch of people in your environment that I'm never going to get to talk to. I might at some point, and I certainly would do my best to bring them to Christ if I was given the opportunity, but you have the opportunity all the time. Now, if you're the person that says, I try to communicate and all I do is confuse people, not really gifted at speaking, want to bring them to someone that could communicate. Well, okay, be like Andrew. His role, his position in the New Testament is constantly bringing people to Jesus. Here's another one. I'll be right back. And here's another. 
and he, and he goes away. And here's one more. Follow what the Lord has anointed you with. Do the office that God has put you in. 29.10 You shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting. Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull. Now, this gets a little more explanation later, but the symbol is essentially that when the animal would be brought, the priest would be ready to perform the sacrifice. The individual who needed his relationship with the Lord restored would place his hands on the head of the animal and confess out loud his sins. For the priest to hear, for God to hear, for everybody to hear, he would confess his sins, symbolically transferring his guilt to the animal. He's openly saying, I have done this, right? You're not going to be ready to be freed from a sin if you're not ready to confess it. You have to stand there, place your hands on the animal, make the confession, and then the animal is put to death on your behalf. There are a few different methods by which that takes place. The sin offering, you know, the fellowship offering that's given, the consecration offering. There are different things. But here, the symbol of placing the hands on the head. Now we move to the New Testament. And this symbol takes on a, a positive role in that when they wanted the Holy Spirit to come upon someone, they would place their hands upon them and pray, and they would receive the Holy Spirit. Rather than judgment, they experienced the grace and the indwelling of God. This ends up being the anointing for the pastorate and the way that people work in the ministry. That's why when you get towards the end of the New Testament, Paul has to say, be very careful that you don't lay hands on someone suddenly. That doesn't have anything to do with like the rate at which you lay hands on someone, the speed at which your hand collides with them. It has to do with how quickly... You say, this person is called into the ministry, and we hereby commission them for that work. It's a mistake that's made a lot. Okay? Uh, people get into the ministry and uh, decide, oh, well, I, I want to be out doing things. The first thing that I can guarantee you very few of us are prepared for is the fact that our enemy is going to meet us right there. You raise your hand and say, yeah, I want to serve the Lord. Well, what you're simultaneously saying is, yeah, I'd like to have my butt kicked too. Because the devil's not going to let you take ground away from him without a fight. If you're going to raise your hand and say, I want to serve the Lord, then prepare yourself for the crushing weight that's coming right behind that. And I do mean crushing weight. Now you can easily endure the crushing weight if you hide behind the strength of Christ. You can easily endure the crushing weight, but don't deceive yourself in thinking it's not coming. To step out and say, I want to serve the Lord, is to also experience that weight. Paul says, don't lay hands on people quickly. Okay. we got a couple options around here, people that want to go out into the ministry. First thing you can do is go away to Bible college. Learn the stuff. Spend a couple of years there. Worthy investment of your life, right? 
You can do it long distance learning online, go to the campus, or you can just gruel it out right here with us for 10 years. How about that? Those are your choices. If we're going to anoint you and send you out as a minister, we want to see that you've sat right here and studied the word of God with us for 10 years. We say that because we understand the gravity of stepping out into ministry. Hey, the biggest, the biggest problem, you know what the average lifespan of a youth minister is? Six months. That's how long they last in the ministry. Six months. Now go a different direction with that. 80% of the people who become Christians do so before the age of 18. That puts 80% of the spiritual warfare we always refer to under the age of 18. I've known youth ministers that have been youth pastors for over 20 years. That means if we're averaging this out, some people last 15 minutes, right? And I've watched it happen. I've literally watched very zealous, very organized, very gifted people raise their hand and say, yeah, that's me, put me in, and at the threshold, turn right around and walk right back out and say, nope, that was it right there. The moment they raised their hand, the personal attack began in their own life, and it doesn't stop. And now they're walking out the door, and they're just smoking. <laughs> Done. Pray for those people. It's not a mockery of them at all. What I'm telling you is how aggressive our enemy is. You're going to step into this warfare. This is, you know, People act like, oh, the, oh that wily old. Yeah. Oh, right. Like he's a prankster, you know. Just wants to see you slap yourself in the face with shaving cream or something. No, he'd like to kill you. He just doesn't have permission from our Heavenly Father. That's how it goes. And that's how the struggle is. It's a very serious thing. Here, these men lay their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take some of the blood of the bull, put it on the horns of the altar with your finger. Pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. You shall take all the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and two kidneys, and the fat that is in or on them. Burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull, with its skin, its offal, you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. It can't be sacrificed on the altar. It has to be sacrificed outside the camp because it's a sin offering. Now, maybe you weren't aware that we were going to have this butcher's anatomy class, but the Lord very specifically wants certain things from the sacrifice. And this has to do with symbolically what's being represented and then also what is acceptable and unacceptable before the Lord. So all of these things that are offered to the Lord are considered the cream of the crop. What's taken outside and burned is an offering to the Lord. Now, some would look on and say it's a total waste. It's a total waste to just burn the remainder of this animal in this way. Well, from a human perspective, it is. But from God's perspective, what he's seeing is a group of people who could have benefited personally from what they offered to the Lord. And they did that because they understood their sinfulness. 
that God needed that reconciliation between them, wanted that reconciliation between them. It's an important thing to recognize that coming to the Lord is not without cost. I mean, okay, sure, throw in the financial aspects. Right, we're talking about that some, but we're talking about the personal costs, whether it be finances or not. You're going to lose friends. You're going to leave people behind. You're going to have to make choices that the rest of the world looks on and says, you are crazy. And you need to follow what the Lord has done, what he's called you to do. This sacrifice right here. Think of you know just the cost of an animal such as this. Rather than offering it, you know what, let's just sell it off. I'll split it down the middle. I'll give half to God and I'll keep half for myself and then we won't have burned up the animal. No, the Lord is saying, no, I want you to give something to me that when the world watches you give it to me, they're going to think you're crazy. Because in the earthly sense, there's no understanding of the value. This doesn't produce anything for them, right? That's generally speaking how we do things. I'm going to do this because somehow there's this much benefit back to me. This is all about the relationship with the Lord and that only. 29.15 You shall take one ram, Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram. You shall kill the ram. You shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around on the altar. Then you shall cut the ram in pieces, wash its entrails and its legs, and put them in its pieces with its head. You shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. So now this one is completely consumed by God. This is, uh, you know, a, a an offering that's made in such a way that it has to do with God receiving the whole thing. No, no portion is kept back. We'll see those portions where they consume some of it, the priest consumes some of it, and then a portion is burned to the Lord. The idea is that everybody's in fellowship, like sharing a meal. Here, it's all given to the Lord. None of it's held back. None of it's, you know, kept for any other purpose other than to give it to the Lord. 29.19 You shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the ram. Then you shall call the ram, take some of the blood, and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron, on the tip of the right ear of his sons, on the thumb of their right hand, and on the big toe of their right foot, and sprinkle the blood all around the altar. Now, the blood being sprinkled all around, we'll talk about that first. Uh, Jesus' bloodshed at the crucifixion I've described many times. And that's why we have this here. It's a symbol of what was coming in Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus leaves uh, you know, communion that we just talked about. They're sharing the Last Supper with the apostles. They go into the Garden of Gethsemane. And there, as he's praying, he begins to burst capillaries in his face and sweat great drops of blood. And we've talked about the fact that that's actually a medical occurrence that really does happen to people. I've been witness to it on two occasions in my life where through stress and strain and pain, bursting the capillaries in the skin and sweating blood. From there, arrested, beaten, bloodshed continues, 
bag put over his head, beaten, bloodshed continues, beard ripped out of his head, bloodshed continues, crown of thorns beaten into his head, bloodshed continues, scourged, torn apart, cat of nine tails, the bloodshed spraying everywhere, two cavalry punctured with the nails, pierced with the, the spear in his side. Bloodshed from the beginning of his trial all the way to when he says it is finished. Everyone involved is getting sprinkled by Jesus Christ's blood all through the process. And so it is here. The symbol of what was coming in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is being shared with us right here. If you're, you know, thousands of years before that occurrence and you're experiencing this or reading this, you can literally be left thinking, like, what is this all about? I, I restrain myself from uh, using the British term bloody. What a bloody mess. Oh, is you know, what the bloody blankety bleep and they swear and say, that's actually a mockery of Jesus Christ's blood, if you're not aware of it. They're taking the Lord's blood in vain. They're referring to our religion originally, mocking it, saying it wasn't worth anything. It's just a bloody religion. Careful, the nuance, we are part of a bloody religion, and it's sacred blood. It's the Son of God, gave his life for me. You know, if any one of you died so that I could have life, I'd feel an intense burden for the rest of my life to honor the sacrifice that you've made to grant me life. Jesus Christ. The Son of God became a man, lowered himself to take on the form of his own creation and die. There's a respect that's demanded there. Here, this right ear, right ear, and the thumb and the foot, the toe, the symbol is the hearing is to be covered by this blood, which includes the thought process is to be covered by the blood. The work done with the hand is to be covered by the blood of the sacrifice. And the walk of this person's life is to be covered by the blood of the sacrifice. You think about this. If you see somebody today that treats the pastorate, the ministry as a job, oh, they went to school, it's just a vocation. Is their hearing anointed by the blood of Jesus Christ? Is their brain, their thought process cleansed by the, Is their work being purified? Is their walk governed by the blood of Jesus Christ? There are some serious things about taking on this role and following the work of the Lord that are described here. It's going to be sprinkled all around the altar. 21, you shall... Take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments and on his sons and on the garments of his sons with him. He and his garments shall be hallowed in his sons' uh, garments with him. This uh, sprinkling of the blood and how it sanctifies and purifies everything. You know, we witnessing that would not be thinking that, right? You know, those of us that do laundry, I'm claiming that like I do laundry. You know, those of us that do laundry, those of you that do laundry, 
that's where I'm, I got to figure out the wording here. Um, <clears throat> you know, think about, you, you know, your son goes off to this religious ceremony and just comes back splattered in blood. I mean, you're going to be left thinking, this is weird. What is this all about? Where does blood come from? Oh, well, we, we killed the ram. Yeah. You what? Yeah. And I'm going to need that cleaned, that garment, because I need to go back and fulfill my priesthood. All these centuries, you guys, all these centuries pass, and no one knows what this is for. They don't realize. They're coming to Jesus Christ, who's going to be the symbol of all these things. 29-22. You shall take the fat of the ram, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and the fat on them, the right thigh that is a ram of consecration. One loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, one wafer from the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. You shall put all these in the hands of Aaron and the hands of his sons and shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. You shall receive them back from their hands and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord. Uh, very symbolic. Um, the idea of waving them, and we're going to see a heave offering in just a minute. And uh, just so we understand, the wave offering is literally, uh, apparently, to be held above the head and waved back and forth. Whereas the heave offering is literally to be lifted over and over again to the Lord. The symbol in both of these, as we're going to see, is to say to the Lord, I have these in my possession. And I'm now giving them to you through fire. You know, to make the display of waving them back and forth. Like, see, I really do have, you know, it's it's not, you know, something that's just brought in in the cooler real quick, tucked away, burned on the altar, and then everybody's going, do we, do we do the rant? It's supposed to be this public display of this is in my hands. These could, these men could use this for themselves. They could eat of this. They could sustain themselves. Instead, Burnt offering uh, to be made by fire to the Lord. Then you shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration, wave it as a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. So keep this one. And from the ram of the consecration, you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering, which is waved, and the thigh and the heave offering, uh, which is raised, of that which is for Aaron and that which is for his sons. So now the symbol starts to become that God wants to eat with them. He's going to consume his portion through fire, and the priests are going to roast and eat their portion. The symbol here is fellowship. God, God likes barbecue and party. Wants these people to hang out, eat this food, this freshly roasted uh, ram that's been prepared, and to be in fellowship with the Lord. Celebrate, sing songs, and have church, essentially. This, this should be an act of worship for all of them. It, is, it shall be for the children of Israel, for Aaron, and for the sons by a statute forever. For it is a heave offering. It shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel, from the sacrifices of their peace offering, that is, the heave offering to the Lord. The peace 
created with the Lord that we could have fellowship with him and actually share in a meal with him. 29.29, right? That's going to be... That's going to become much more significant, right? Oh, you know, symbolically burned up. God, God consumed his portion by fire. So there, you know, that got his. And now we're going to sit over here. How much is that actually in fellowship? There's a you know big thought process behind. You know, is this just symbol? We'll move forward to what we just read this morning. Jesus sits right down with them and shares the meal. God is amongst them, eating with them. It's really an amazing thought. That God went through all of this trouble to become a man to sit down and share that meal with them. Here, symbolically, the Lord receives his portion through fire. They receive theirs. 29.29, the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them. And the son who becomes priest in his place shall put them on for seven days. When he enters the tabernacle of meeting to minister in the holy place. So as he takes that office, the subsequent son takes the office. He's going to go through the same ritual for seven days. So uh, the um, you know descendants of Aaron would qualify the, for the priesthood and would be consecrated in the same way as Aaron and his descendants the consecration process took seven days for each of them. So all that's being described here is taking place over seven days in order to usher this man into his office and see that he's doing his role. 29.31, you shall take the ram of consecration and boil its flesh in the holy place. And then Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram and bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. They shall eat those things which the atonement was made to consecrate and to sanctify them, but an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh of the consecration offering or of the bread remains until morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire shall be not be eaten because it is holy. Shouldn't be consumed by anyone else. This isn't so much an act of prejudice on God's part as it is an act of holiness. He's, he's signifying to everyone who's going to witness this for all these millennia that pass that there's a difference with these priests. God has put them in a different place amongst the nation of Israel, that they are following the Lord and leading the people in following the Lord. So their position is holy and set aside on behalf of the Lord. Thus you shall do Aaron and his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Seven days you shall consecrate them. Verse 36, you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement, you shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it. And the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. So they're inside the uh, temple grounds at this point. And for the most part, you would think that whatever touched the altar automatically would be holy. 
they deteriorate to the place as a nation where they're literally setting up sexual symbols inside the temple. They're, they're literally things so disgusting I won't even mention them here. They're, they're, they're doing things and bringing things into the tabernacle that anyone should automatically react with repulsion. It's so wrong that these things would, you know, later be incorporated into the tabernacle. You, you, God writes this down here, and we're all sort of celebrating the consecration of Aaron and all of this great symbol that we're being given. Then you get that warning about nothing unholy should come inside or touch the altar. And, you know, right now we're thinking, like, of course, that, that's not going to happen. And so aren't the people of Israel. They're thinking, no way. You know, of course we wouldn't do that. Over time... It deteriorates so badly. Please take note, brothers and sisters. When the scriptures tell us that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. We always start small, don't we? Just gonna, This little thing won't. And we find that it permeates everything. Everything. Things we've told ourselves, that well, at least I've never done that. Suddenly I'm doing that. And I move the line somewhere else and say, well, okay, I've done that. But thank goodness I've never been like those people and done any of that. And then I've crossed that line too. Don't, don't, don't be too confident in yourself. When you see certain things and you hear certain things and you're left thinking like, oh, of course I would never do that. And then later, because as the years pass, as the days go by more and more, when I hear those things that I'm often offended with my first reaction is still that way of oh thank god i'm not like that right behind that now there's a prayer of oh god don't ever let me be like that because i am capable of being absolutely hedonistic by grace of god we are something different here it's got to be holy of course struggle to keep it that way 2938 now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-fourth of a hin of pressed oil, one-fourth of a hin of wine as a drink offering. Now, this one-tenth of an ephah, that's um, flour, may have weighed about three pounds, two ounces. So I know you were really concerned about that and wanted to clarify. Also, one-fourth of a hen, so that you can go home and set yourself up with these measurements. Uh, the, the hen contained uh, one gallon and two pints, specifically. Now, the fourth part of this was about one quart and a half of a pint. So, just in case you needed to know those facts. 2941, the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer with it the grain offering and the drink offering as in the morning for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. 
where I will meet you to speak with you. And there I will meet you with the children of Israel. The tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Uh, very complex, uh, very questionable sacrifices and services laid out here as far as looking at it from the human perspective. We can often be left thinking like, why go through all of this? There are a few things that I would just like to pull out of this as highlights. The first of which is, God is the one who actually anointed Aaron and his sons. What these people are doing is to symbolically agree by pouring out the oil with God's pouring out of his spirit. God is the one who's done the anointing. They're just agreeing with it. When we go through the ritual of baptism, the reason we do it the way we do is because it's supposed to be all of these things have already happened in your life. So now we're symbolically carrying them out so the world can see. The priest has been anointed by God. That's why he's in the role that he's in. Now they pour the oil on him to show all the people this one is anointed by God. Right? It's not going to be a mistake. Somebody pours a whole bottle of oil over your head. How many times has that happened in your life? Zero, right? You're going to remember that. Everyone who witnesses is going to remember. It's going to be a moment that stands out as this person has been identified by the spiritual leadership in my life as having been anointed by God. We agreed with that anointing and anointed him ourselves. You can't just take out the magic oil and pour it over somebody's head that hasn't been anointed. You might have anointed them, but God didn't anoint them. They must first be anointed by the Lord. That's the first thing. Secondly, all of this sacrifice, the great cost. To who? Really, to God. God's providing everything for them. And he promises them, as you make these sacrifices to me, I'll bless you. You're not going to go without. You can't outgive God. You understand? The point is, God's the one who's paying all of this cost. God is the one who's providing for them. God is the one who's doing the work in the process. And then he leaves it at the end with two parts. One, this is going to go on forever. And two, with that anointing, there's a separation. You're separated from the people at this point. They, they've been pulled out. The priests have been pulled out to be something different. They're now the ministers to minister to the people. They become the conduit by which God flows through them to the nation of Israel. Are you seeing yourself in these pictures? Are you seeing how the Lord flows through you into other people's lives? 
Are you seeing the way that he's paid the great cost? Are you seeing the way that he's the one who anointed you? No one else. He's given you certain conversations. He's given you certain relationships. That's all the work of the Lord. What do, what do we get to do? We get to listen very closely. The air anointed with the blood. You got to listen very closely. How do you do that? In his word. You got to listen to his word very closely. Then secondly, you must ensure that the work of your hands is anointed by the Lord. Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Are there things in your life that you're currently doing that you couldn't possibly do to the Lord? That stuff's got to go. Got to get out of the way. Like this junk that's removed from certain sacrifices and taken outside the city and burned, it's got to go. Can't be part of the sacrifice. The sin offering has to go outside the camp and be destroyed. It's got to be done away with. So that when you come back in, you're, you're separated from the world. See, we need to, look, if the world, we, we do this thing where, like, oh, the modern church, yeah, we're just going to be the coolest Christians ever. Every environment we go into, people are just going to love us. Nope, <clears throat> not going to happen. Number one, if you're doing that, I suspect there's a massive degree of compromise in your life. I suspect. Trying to be friends with the world. You know, having a conversation with a woman not too long ago about, <laughs> about her bar ministry. Some people can pull it off, right? I suppose. Other people are just hanging out, hitting on people and getting drunk. Blaming it on Jesus which is what that person was doing. Come out and be separate. But to be separate from you're going to be a minister, you're going to be a priest, you're going to be separate in your clothes, in your appearance, in your work, in your sacrifice. It's going to be different than everybody else around you. That's what makes you effective. They watch. Have you figured that out yet? They constantly watch. The minute they discover you're a Christian, you're under the microscope. They're just watching. And that can be good or bad. What is your testimony? How do you stand? Do you hold for them? Do you, do you hold the line for them? Do you present to them? Or do they see compromise? See, because if, if you're thinking, oh, well, the compromise helps them to identify with me. No, it doesn't. They're collecting your compromises. That's what they're doing. And they're just loading them up one after the other, so that someday they can turn them on you. I saw you compromise. You're useless. Your Christianity is meaningless. has to be sanctified by the Lord. Hear this last couple of verses, and then we'll close in prayer. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 17, the Lord says through Paul, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. If we find ourselves separated from the world, that's how we identify with Christ. And the difference that he creates in our hearts and minds. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father, we are grateful for your love your ministry, your work, your sacrifice, 
these great symbols that we've looked at in the priesthood of Aaron and how you are our high priest today. How you brought to an end, you completed and finished the priesthood of Aaron by introducing yourself. Lord, help us that our ear would be anointed with your blood, our hearing, our thoughts, our mind, that our hands would be anointed with your blood to purity of work, that our feet would be anointed with your blood, that our walk would be pure in you. Work in us, bless us, keep us. May we be your ministers and your servants until we're together again. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.